You are now checked in to Stand Up New York Labs. Oh, yeah. I'm on size nothing and back to talk. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to, to Free Speech, the podcast we shoot at Stand Up New York Labs in a hidden location on 78th and Broadway on the second floor. Um, we're here with Galen Brothman. Nope. His name is spelled not even remotely close to how it's pronounced. It's true. That's You've got like GHs in there that uh-huh. are superfluous. Yeah, it's an intelligence test, really. To Gal- see, you know. <laughs> that I failed. Yeah. Galen Boffman. There you go. Yes. There you go. Galen Boffman, spelled B-A-R-O-U-G-H-G-G-H-M <laughs> with an umlaut and a circonflex, as they say in French. <laughs> but the beauty of free speech is you're free to say it however I'm you I'm free you to say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I won't lose my job. No. No, it's good. Well, you're gay. And so I can do anything now. Yes. But be mean to you. I guess so, yeah. The fact that you're on this show, it puts like a force field around me. <laughs> we can talk about anything and we'll never be persecuted. Right, right. Because I, I lend some sort of imprimatur too. But the irony is your uh, horrible gulag is linked to a form of homophobia. Yeah, that's true. Um, but before we get to that... Uh, Galen uh, is a uh, advocate for civil rights. You're a lobbyist, yeah. and you spent nine years in prison after flirting with a 14-year-old boy when you were 19 years old. Well, we had sex. Oh, but, you? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was um, it was for a consensual relationship when I was 19 with a 14 and a half year old. And society saw that as the same as any sex offense, mm-hmm. pedophile. Yeah. One size fits all. One size fits all, and you went away for a long time. Yeah. Um, I have trouble discussing your case because nine years in prison and what four and a half years in solitary. That's right. Yeah, is that cumulative? It's solitary. Cumulative. It was not straight. So I did twenty months at the beginning. I had about six months randomly in the middle, and then the last two and a half years. Now you go in solitary when you're on trial, right? When your trial's running. Yeah, that that was the uh, common theme. So um, when I was in the Virginia Department of Corrections, I was held at six different facilities. Uh, And at no time was I in solitary confinement. But every single time I was fighting, uh, you know, the legal process, they placed me in solitary. And one might only imagine they did that to destabilize me. Oh, yeah, I don't understand that. Because I was talking about it the other day, and someone goes, oh, no, they probably do it because they don't want you to get stabbed because you're on Mm -hmm. trial and they can't have it. And I'm like, no, they always don't want you to get stabbed. (laughs) There's signs that say no stabbing. (laughs) Like, it's... It's frowned upon in the jail community. Having having been at many many facilities, I always felt that they were stabbing indifferent. You know, it wasn't <laughs> stabbing neutral. Yeah, zones. stabbing neutral. <laughs> they, they didn't super care. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so what we're gonna do today is only dip into your case back and forth because I'm weak, <laughs> and it's like thinking about Cheers, the universe. I yeah, it's, I can't handle it. Well, it's, it's kind of early in the morning too. It's early in the at morning. Just closed locations. So, I'm frail. You know, it's yeah. like discussing. Okay, if the universe ends, then what's after that? Cement? Like I can't. It doesn't fit. Yeah. So I'll dip my toes into your case, mm-hmm. and then we'll pull back. Sure. Uh, I think that's the best way to handle this. Baby well, steps. Well, one of the, the interesting things about advocacy is um, we try to highlight how individual stories connect to broader systemic problems. So um, it's a perfect format. Okay, good. Well, I think the biggest, I'm going to try to handle this and then I'm going to give up and maybe talk about like 
strip clubs and puppies or something. Never been to a strip club. Really? Really. Well, I haven't gone since I had a daughter. Oh, okay. That as soon as the ultrasound yeah, right. says female uh-huh. and you see the female on that chart, you go, fuck. <laughs> Buy strip clubs. And it's not because you're against them, but it's because the whole time you're there, you're like, you're thinking about her dad. The Is there like a, a warning label on the ultrasound that lets yeah, you know they should that, have, yeah. the strip clubs should lobby to prevent <laughs> ultrasounds. Like they should have a campaign. Hey, why not make it a surprise? <laughs> hey, uh, who needs to know in advance? It's yeah. not like you're going to buy a pink crib instead of a blue crib. <laughs> right. It's just a fucking baby. Yeah. Wait it out, guys. And uh, their income would go up, you know, nine months of income uh-huh. or whatever, five months. Um, we were just talking about strip clubs before you got here and I realized... As you can see, we're abandoning your case. That's fine. <laughs> They're the most feminist institution in the world. Interesting argument. Tell me more. Okay. When you go to a strip club, and I've seen women come to strip clubs like, okay, I'm going to go to this sexist frat party where everyone's laughing and screaming and fucking poking their fingers and butts and stuff. Uh, and that's not the case at all. It's serene. It's quiet besides the music blaring Coolio, mm-hmm. Gangster's Paradise. Um and it's just men, like in Quebec where there's full nudity, and I'll, I think it's the same in Atlantic City and a lot, a lot of places. It's just a man sitting with, alone with a beer, looking at a woman's asshole <laughs> this close to his face like this. And he doesn't have a boner. He's just in awe of its beauty. It's and like, like sh- sh- Yeah, it's like the Met. <laughs> He's staring at the Mona Lisa, and that's her yeah. fucking butthole. Mm-hmm. Like, a, my wife's never even seen my asshole. And I, I, I don't think I have either. It's gross. Um, but a woman is so revered. And in New York, like Long Island City, they'll have puppy dog ears, like huge, long, floppy tits, because they had like three abortions and were breastfeeding when they were 14. Mm-hmm. And these men will look at these shitty, terrible, sagging dugs and go, unbelievable. <laughs> Perfect. And she's dancing around, swinging them around. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, she has uncomfortable shoes on for the 10 minutes she's up there. But the, all the men, they're not talking to each other. They're not like you go to a strip club where women look at men. They're laughing, grabbing his butt. Ha ah, fuck this guy. Doing whipped cream shots. Uh-huh. Ah, whoa, what a cock. <laughs> Basically laughing at gays because uh-huh. they're all gay. Uh, a male strip club where women strip is the exact opposite of that. It's just men, like a church, going in there, buying $8 beers, incredibly expensive drinks, and staring in awe at the beauty of mediocre-looking women. Hmm. Now, so I'm- stop lobbying <laughs> against strip clubs. Uh, so uh, you're familiar with the Cato Institute, I would imagine. Yes. Um, uh, they have a uh, an essay monthly essay series called Cato Unbound, and um, uh, one of the I guess relatively recent um, editions uh, profile like the lead essay was um, from a, a woman who advocates in favor of sex work. Right. Um, it's a really interesting, interesting piece. Well, that's kind of different though. I I do believe like it's a tricky topic, but. I believe a woman's chastity has currency. And if a woman is just slutting around, like this chick we were talking to the other night, the race wars chick who did sex work. And she's like, yeah, my fiance strangled me when he found out that I, was a, I did sex work. And I'm like, yeah, because you spent your savings. Like he lost his temper because you blew your bank account. Women have a currency with sex. Now, I, I know I was just talking about how awesome strippers are. Uh, 
but it's not a good thing to be. It's like Tyson. Like, I love watching Mike Tyson fight, but he got that way from his shitty childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with Manny. He had a pretty rough childhood. He fought, like, when he was five every day. That's, I'm not advocating growing up like that, but it's fun to watch him fight. So it's, it's a really interesting, like, question then whether society should prevent people from doing things that they're choosing to do based on the idea that they're only choosing to do that because of their history. Yeah, that's a good point. Because are you advocating uh, a rough childhood when you go to a Tyson fight? Because that's what made him great. Hmm. Um, but I think the beauty of the free market is, look, we're here, okay? This happened. You know, this chick had a bunch of abortions. She's got saggy tits. She's dumb and horny. This is the perfect job for her. What are you going to do? Prevent her? Where, where should she be? At Citibank? Should she be the CEO of a fucking financial institution? No, she's a moron. One time, one of the girls, she had black socks on, like dad socks, with her clear heels. I didn't know they wore socks. They don't. And it was so gross that I loved it because mm-hmm. it was just like dirty. You don't want a healthy young lady with nice tits at a strip club. <laughs> That's not what sex is about. Sex is about filth. And I've always said, smelling a woman's ass is a poor man's Viagra. Because you're shocked at what a pig you are. You're just like, I like this? I'm an animal. Boink. Um, and I said to her, oh, I like your black socks. And uh, she thought I was being sarcastic. Uh-huh. And she leaned down and she had to hold her tits because her tits were so long, they would have like been in my face. And she's like, they're for medicinal purposes. What, you have, like, psoriasis? Like, you put hand cream in your black sock and then put it on? Like, what is the medicine in there? That's fucking gross. That woman is incapable of anything else but breeding and stripping. I wonder where that, that incapability began. I wonder, uh, I wonder, I wonder where the, born, in, you're born the intervention point Everything was. is genetics, Galen. Everything. You yeah. were born gay. Probably true. Definitely true. Dude, we, we tried to cure you for nine years. Oh, no. No, they, they weren't trying to do any such thing. Really? They, no, didn't, that was send, just, they didn't slide nude photos was, under the door? That was just punishment. Uh, though, no, I do remember um, the first uh, real prison that I was at. Um, you know, they put you at jail, and then they put you at, like, this reception center, and then they put you at, like, a regular prison for the first time with guys that have been there for a long, long time. And... Um, uh, one of the the first things I got to witness was how the guys, um, when they came in for a, the, the, the officers came to shake the facility down, um, the more savvy prisoners would leave out candy bars and like porno mags, just like out for the guards. So they would come into the cell and they would, you know, eat the candy bars and hang out on the bunk and look at the porn. And after the the requisite, you know, however long the supervisor thinks it takes them to shake a cell down, they would leave entirely undeserving, you know, undisturbing anything. So if you have a shiv under your mattress, you just leave a porno mag on your mattress and a candy bar and they're not going to find it. Yeah. It's like the art of uh, what deflection. (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah. You'll notice, by the way, folks at home that, uh, I'm not letting Galen talk as much as I should, and he's much more interesting than me. So you go, why are you blabbing about buttholes? That's because you can't handle his story, okay? If I let him speak here and tell everything at once, your hair would fall out. 
So let's ease into a side issue. You were talking about free markets, and I'm actually very curious about this phenomenon. Um, I read an article for Playboy magazine last year. Never heard of it. Um, Yeah, me neither. But um, they paid quite well, actually. Dollar a word uh, still? Yeah, dollar a word. Those those days are gone. Yeah, it was pretty great. Um, So we wrote about... uh, uh, corruption around mental health treatment in the prison industrial complex. Okay. And um, they wanted multiple examples to kind of like prove our case. This is a systemic problem. And they only give us a thousand words. So <laughs> that was a bit confusing to us. But um, we, uh, we found this guy who had been a case manager at a privately run juvenile facility in Texas. And uh, he told us, he went on record for the first time, that his supervisors forced him to falsify the medical records of kids in his care so that they could excuse keeping them locked up longer so the facility made more money off of them. Jesus Christ. So that I, this like precipitates, and there are two other examples I can get into, um, which, you know, this isn't like too heavy for everyone, but um, it, it sort of, for me, it challenges the free market idea because it totally does. Yeah. there are these like underpinning economic models that incentivize certain behavior and entirely like ignore the actual harm that this is causing to people. But you know, the problem with that is when people have that argument about free market versus government, they assume the government doesn't have any financial incentives. Like look at Title IX. That is a government program that rewards college campuses for finding rape cases, mm. okay? So they have incentivized rape culture. And if you aren't finding any rapists, you don't get any money. Mm. The government has that same structure. So I, I think that the government and corporations are both greedy and corporations are just have more checks and balances. You're still gonna have these problems with the government. Like if you had the, the, the government national institution of socks, mm-hmm and they had uh, $300,000 to give out socks to people, they're going to want 320000 next year, 340000 next year, no matter how many socks they get or distribute. The structure of government is, I got this thing, I need more, I need more, I need to grow, I need more. So the government-run prison is still going to have the guy falsifying documents to have more people in longer because they get their paycheck that way. Well, let me see if I can actually support your argument. Okay. Um, I, <laughs> I like when my argument is so bad that people <laughs> want to support it as an experiment. <laughs> so I'm going to try to agree with you for fun. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 well, I think like the part that you, you're not calculating is that the government has a hand in this, right? Where's the money coming from? It's coming from the government. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. They're paying to keep these kids locked up. And they're either willfully indifferent or like too stupid to realize that that there's this incentivization process that's going on. Well, what about the checks and balances? Like with that falsified document, aren't they getting sued? Isn't this a national scandal? Has anyone been punished for this? Nope. Wow. So let's get to, I think I'm almost ready for your case. Okay. Um, so you're a 19-year-old gay person. I am. Well, well, I wish I still was, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> You meet a 14-year-old. Yeah, well, we, we had known each other for a while. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you become amorous with this gentleman. hmm Make love to him. Yeah. At what age? Well, he was 14, you were 19? 14 and a half, I was 19. Had sexual intercourse. Um, oral sex. Oral sex, okay. And then you guys keep email. You're dating, basically. Sort of, yeah. Well, I mean, so you have to remember this is in, like, the early 2000s. So, like, for gay kids in Virginia, dating was, like, something straight kids did. 
So like we had a like close relationship. You'd meet behind the Seven Eleven or something. For uh, no, no, no. I mean, we were like openly friends. Um, and I had you know known him for a long time. He was in like lived in my neighborhood. Um, what year is this? This is in two thousand three. Two thousand three. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, you know, the idea like I went to prom in two thousand eleven or sorry two thousand one, and uh, like the concept of taking a boy was like you know. Now Impossible. you'd be prom king and prom king. Right, right. Well, you know, my um, uh, my sister is gay too, and she um, she's getting married this summer. She's in the military, and she uh, uh, came up six years behind me in Wait, school. Wait, you you do you have any other siblings? Yeah, I have a brother too. Is he straight? Very straight, painfully straight, painfully straight. Yeah. Gotcha. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, not at all. So um, uh, the cultural difference between when I was going through the same school system mm-hmm. and when she was going through this, it was just Night and day difference. It, it makes it sounds like you're talking about 1950s America. Yeah, where like a gay dude and a lesbian would go to a bar with their gay dude lesbian lovers and pretend they were couples and then like touch each other under the table. <laughs> well, I, I never had that experience exactly, but um, you know there are definitely girls that I uh, like went on dates with who that were not at all dates when I was in high school, and the girl was almost certainly gay. Do you ever, as a gay man? Uh, Look at tits and go, wow, those are pretty awesome. And no. then look at like my tits and go, why did I get stuck with this fucking th- shit? No, uh, you know it's it's funny. I mean, I've I've many many straight friends, and uh, I I've never quite understood their fascination with you know what. Yeah. Just... So you you look at boobs and you go, not my cup of tea. And you look at my weird hairy fucking sagging dugs with my gross nipples, and you go, now that's my cup of tea. Well, you might not be the best example. Well, I'm the majority of men. <laughs> you are there. Most men don't shave their chest and have pecs. That's true. That's like Abercrombie and French <laughs> freaks. Yeah, what about it... a bag? Like, you look at a vagina, it looks like an orchid. Uh-huh. And then you look at me, like if I was on all fours from behind, you see my hairy asshole with like a zit and maybe a bit of tissue paper that got stuck there. And then my bag hanging down, like a, a weird elephant yeah. fucking hide yeah. with the balls that gyrating with sporadic hairs like an alien head. And then my weird foreskin there like a baby elephant trunk. Uh-huh. Uh, not smelling great either. <laughs> like if you put your finger in a woman's butthole, swirl it around, pull it out, roses. You know, I've never done that if experiment. If you put your finger in the top of my butt crack, uh-huh. like just below, if you put your finger in the back of my belt right now, uh-huh. you would have to take your finger to a lab and have it removed and put in a biohazard unit. You would get cancer. You'd have cancer in your fingernail. Actually, you, me just talking about my butt crack mm-hmm. is reeking up this room. How is this worse than my story? <laughs> well, it just doesn't seem aesthetically plausible to be gay so that i guess would would argue for the uh the biological dimension yeah yeah well that's what i've always said like if you think anyone is becomes gay by culture go suck some cocks Mm -hmm. and get back to me like you're not gonna you're not gonna go oh actually these are kind of delicious i had no idea that you suck 1,000 dicks mm-hmm. as a straight man, and the 999th, you're going to be going, uh, 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 oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, uh. You, will you at least concede this yes. as a gay? When you look at a bag, you go, we got stuck with a raw deal. 
I naturally like this more than a pussy, but this is a ripoff. You know, I've never had that that sentiment. Really? I can't say that I have, no. I argued with the gay film director Bruce LaBruce about this mm. once, and he said, you have no appreciation for the human body. <laughs> okay. And I was like, how could, like an alien lands here, looks at a booby, one right tit, uh-huh. and then looks at a scrotal sack, and then you say, so, guy from Mars, what's better? <laughs> of course he's going to say the right tit, right? Will you at least give me that? I, I don't know that he would really have a point of reference. Exactly. Beauty. Like, look at a, a shampoo bottle in a grocery store. It goes like this. Ooh, it's smooth. Uh-huh. It doesn't have weird hairs sticking out of it. Yeah. You don't have a jar of jam with, like, a zit and a hair that's hanging like a bag. It's smooth. It's, it's curvaceous. Look at a Corvette. It looks like a woman. Mm-hmm. No one has a sports car that looks like a fucking bag. <laughs> I don't know. They're, they're being more and more innovative these days. We should have gay advocacy to support these poor bastards and women. I'm a feminist uh-huh. and I'm pro-gay because both of these groups have been born stuck with a bag. They've been left holding the bag. Interesting. Wait, how are feminists holding a bag? Uh, women, heterosexual women, have the same shit deal oh, you guys I see, have. I see, I see, I see. Yeah, they yeah, have yeah. to look at yeah. my bag. Mm. That makes sense. That's but, God is a sexist homophobe. So you know the biological dimension is also really interesting because it, when when you expand from you know well actually just start with homosexuality right like it used to be illegal. Um, when I was arrested, they actually charged me with crimes against nature. This was pre. That's what Lawrence the law said. Texas. Crimes against yeah, nature. It was, that was what my stat, <laughs> like the the charge said. Um, and they eventually dropped that charge and found something else to to get me with. But um, yeah, yeah, that's what they charged me with. And so, like, we used to, as a society, say, "Oh, well, we don't like this behavior. We think it's immoral." Um, and now science understands that. It's not a choice that people are making. So you know, when we look at our criminal justice system, the question has to be, well, like, what positive effect are we creating for our society by punishing people for things that, they're out, that are not within their control? If you right. don't have any agency, you know, you're punishing me because I have blue eyes and brown hair. I mean, how does that make sense? But wasn't the charge more based on pedophilia than homosexuality? So, no. I mean, I would argue that the charge is really based on property. Um, in Virginia, we treat children as though they are the property of the parent. And if you look at the origins of these laws, they they were never used with with you know boys. It was girls. Right. And the um, the problem is that you have devalued my property as a parent because the girl has now lost her virginity. Yeah, which w- what I was saying about strippers earlier. Women do have a currency with their chastity. Right. And it, I've been sued before for calling a woman a slut. And the, the judge, the, the mentality was, you've made her less um, marketable mm-hmm. as a woman and less likely to get a man because she's known as a slut now. This is all, you know, the law being hypothetical. Right. No one doesn't want to fuck a slut. But anyway, uh, so they put a monetary fee on that uh, lack of value. Mm-hmm. Well, so, you know, and then the question of pedophilia is also fascinating. Like in our vernacular, pedophilia means or is used to mean um, sex with anybody or interest in having sex with anybody under 18. Right. Which is actually bullshit, right? Well, the problem is, uh, and I'm having an epiphany as we speak, so I'm sorry to interrupt you, but 
The real problem is we're so naive about sexuality that we treat everything the same. But And it's strange because that's considered egalitarian, but it's actually xenophobic and homophobic. Gays are different than straights. Women are different than men. And I remember uh, when Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel said this joke on TV mm-hmm. when that uh, teacher, that 26-year-old, fuck that 15-year-old oh, boy. Oh, the gorgeous one? The, the 11. And she's after she was. She, she, she was the score 11, not the age 11, yes. right? Okay. She was an 11. And yeah. I don't throw those numbers around. Okay. She was better than perfect. Wow. Like she was so beautiful that your brain goes, oh, I had never thought you could do that. Mm-hmm. Like it's a new category. Anyway. After she was arrested, she sent him a video of herself wearing lingerie, and it had those, I know you guys don't understand lingerie, but that's a big deal to us. And they had like little bows on the top of the thigh things. Mm-hmm. That's huge in the straight community. Oh, okay. That's boner, like your boner will pop off. Interesting. It'll explode. Uh, and she was doing a sexy dance, and she violated her probation by sending that to him. Yeah, I would imagine. And Kimmel had a joke where he goes, um, yeah, unfortunately that boy's father passed away. <laughs> Today, he died from excessive high fives. Oh, wow. So he was recognizing what we all know to be true, which mm-hmm. is a 26-year-old woman fucking a 15-year-old boy is wildly different from a 26-year-old man fucking a 14-year-old girl. And both are totally different from a 19-year-old gay fucking a 14-year-old gay. Uh, I would argue that the latter is pretty much the same as a 19-year-old chick fucking a 14-year-old heterosexual boy. No, I think you you would end up with the whole high-five phenomenon again. Totally. Or at least a pat on the back. It wouldn't be news. Well, but what about this, just for fun? You're like a uh, an endearing, gentle guy, right? <laughs> After I've had my coffee, yeah. But let's imagine a hideously ugly 19-year-old teenager uh-huh. with zits and a swastika tattoo. Wow, okay. Yeah. He's fucking a 14-year-old girl who's uh-huh. stupid, not legally slow, but pretty dumb. Sure. Fat in a trailer park. Okay. Um, I want that guy. I don't know. I don't like that. Huh. You know? All right. Why? Like what? what well, first, I gave myself all these great biases <laughs> by setting up this scenario. Swastika, ugly. Yeah. yeah. That's the beautiful thing about hypotheticals is you can control the universe, yeah, exactly. right? It's like the holodeck yeah, on Star exactly. Trek. Well, how do you feel about that guy? <laughs> I mean, I, I knew that guy. Uh, I, I mean, I was locked up with all sorts of different people. Um, you know, I came from a, a relatively privileged background. I went to school right outside of Washington, D.C., um, at a school that consistently ranks in the top 10. I went to like a top school in the country for college for what I wanted to do with my life. And um, when I got to prison, I met all of these people from walks of life that I honestly probably would have never encountered otherwise. Yeah, no duh. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and I, like our society is set up so that we deliberately don't encounter these people. Right. Um, That's what jail is. Yeah. And, it's the non-society people. And, well, you know, and it's funny because, um, like, as upper, you know, white middle class people, we say that. But for so many people in this country, it's actually their society. Oh, right. And, yes. you know, like, I'm, I'm working on a project in D.C. right now. And one of the problems with the district is that there's a incredible rate of disproportionate representation. Like, the... Number the percentage of people that are locked up in the city is far higher than in most other cities, um, and so there are poor communities in the city where everybody expects to end up in the system. Uh-huh. So when what I experienced and what was like shocking to me as a 
I guess I was 21 when I got into the regular prison sentence system finally. Um, this wasn't strange or difficult for them. It was like their culture. It was well, their neighborhood. We had Talib Starks on the show once, and he, he spent two years in prison, uh, which I guess is you would call that a pussy. Um, what do you call that? Pussy time? Is that a is that a fag sentence? I, I, mean, I wouldn't say anything, but I would outrank him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you pat him on the top of the head. Yeah, it's, um, like, it's like associate's degree, right? Oh, I've got I've got a PhD. Oh, you did two years. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, and I gave him that you know my middle class white take on uh, incarceration and and it's the war on families and white people do more drugs than black people, yet black people are, are prosecuted more often. Yeah. And to him, it was like I was singing opera. Mm -hmm. Like it was like, oh, that's a nice little song that I don't know anything about or have anything to do with. <laughs> he goes, for us, we don't ever talk about that. It's like I meet my dad, uh -huh. I hang out with my brothers, literally and figuratively, yeah. and I get in shape. And it's, it's like a respite for them. It's like sleepaway camp. You know, there's also this myth um, I encountered with guys in the system that it preserves you. That, wow, yeah, I've that, never heard that, that, that being before. In prison, it, almost like this spa phenomenon that you're, Holy you know. Holy fuck, that's and if, mind blowing. And if you think about it, if you're using drugs and drinking heavily and, you know, not taking care of yourself when you're on the street. Right. And, you know, you're in a culture where you're exposed to violence or could be the victim of violence very easily. Um, it makes sense that this I would wonder be a, if uh, sea whales do better at SeaWorld than they do in the wild. That's actually, I mean, you're getting I'm, fed every I'm day. I'm going to steal that. Can I steal you that? Steal I that, love yeah. that. That's a great analogy. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, they, they, they call it three hots and a cot. And actually, it's a lot. You don't get three hot meals. <laughs> and they're not really meals. Like, they're they're mush. You know, it's just disgusting. I had what a guy, was your favorite meal in prison? So my favorite meal was self-created. Um, I had a guy at most of the facilities that I was at who was on salary for me, basically. Um, they're pretty affordable. It was like nine bucks a month. And he would he worked in the kitchen and would steal all of the food he could from the staff's dining hall. And it's like, you know, fresh vegetables, onions, Ooh, that nice. sort of thing. Yeah. But when you're like eating mush paste all the time, like this salient green crab, like that's what you, you start to really want an onion. Like, yeah, like, yeah, I know, can and, imagine. And salad. Could we have salad, right? Yeah. One time he brought me 32 kiwis. And you know there are no there are no fridges right so you <laughs> you got to eat them now you just got to eat them and so um, you have these little lockers and I opened my locker and like hid the bad behind the locker um, just, the guards aren't that bright so you can usually like, get away with basically thirty two kiwis is not an issue anything short of leaving is is and I've known people who would leave the prison they would call it escaping. Um, and then come back in, right? Just to go buy alcohol or something what? like that. Yeah, it's true. Wait, 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 wait. It's true. My brain true. is not a, the strongest organ on my body and I'm weak overall. Yeah. Did you just say to me that a prisoner yeah. left a prison, yeah. bought a beer, and returned to prison? No, it was, uh, it was more of like, you know, like a bottle, but yeah. Uh, 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 what? Why yeah. wasn't this global news? <laughs> I mean, like when this happened. Wait, he left the prison. He escaped from prison and bought booze and came, <laughs> came back? back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy fuck! Yeah, yeah. And I think the proposition is, uh, you know, if you're we're talking about this, is sort of like. Wait, how did he escape prison? He dug a tunnel. I, I don't remember that part. I think they went over the fence, but I don't really remember. And this was down in Florida, and it was about 15 years ago. So, wow. Um, it was an associate of mine. It's someone I've I worked with and, you know, has done advocacy since. But Oh, really? So, yeah, that's another thing I wanted to ask you. Is 
Let's break down prison, shall we? Yeah, yeah, sure. Let's do a pie chart. <laughs> okay. What percentage are fucking assholes, psychopaths, oh. who could not function in society? I, so, it's a really good question. Um, I would you. guess. I would guess maybe two percent. Two. I would guess maybe two percent. And the reason I say that is there. Um, there are all of these people who are warehoused there and most of them don't have the emotional resources to be able to deal with like the extreme stress that they're under. Aren't they so, murderers? No. Aren't they rapists? No. No. What? No, many of them are people that are locked up for poverty crimes. They're locked up for drug crimes. They're a locked prison up guard for... once told me that about a third of them are there for uh, violating a restraining order. And that is, they call it domestic. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, you beat up your girlfriend, yeah. as is the culture. Um, she calls the cops. They mm -hmm. have to make a restraining order. Right. You leave. Yeah. You end up getting back together. Mm -hmm. uh, you have your sock drawer there. Like, it's your house. There's mm -hmm. your poster on the wall of, right. of uh, Al Pacino. Your favorite strip club? Yeah. Scarface. Scarface is on foam core mounted. Um, <laughs> And then you get in a fight with her. Uh -huh. She calls the cops again. This is a year later. You've been living with her for a year. Right. The, the cops have the restraining order, so mm -hmm. it's the same as some psycho crawling in the window of a woman he's stalking and her screaming in fear. It's the same crime, even though it's clearly a boyfriend at this point. He has a sock drawer. Mm -hmm. So they would go to jail for violating a restraining order. Yeah, there's um, there's this this like grand scheme um, to bring people back into the system once they've gotten out, so it becomes a revolving door, and the recidivism rates are between sixty and seventy percent for you know the general population. But they're not. I just went. Yeah, there's a lot of bad guys. Well, so that's not two percent. That's, that's well, that's the thing. So it's not that they're all bad guys. It's that they you know they get out, they're on probation or parole, which is almost universally the case. And the probation and parole systems are set up so that it's incredibly easy to get bounced back into the system for something petty, kind of similar to what you were describing, where you know the guy has this restraining order. Well, uh, being on probation is like a restraining order. So there are restrictions on what you can do. You have to show up to programs. You have to get a job. You have to have suitable housing. So I knew a kid, for example, who was 14 when he went into the system. He went in because he had sex with his girlfriend, his first sexual experience. She was less than two years younger than him. They went to the same school. So he reported this to his – he didn't report it. He shared this life, you know – moment with his therapist and he was in um, required therapy because he was a foster care kid mm -hmm. so this 14 year old boy has a therapist who then deliberately elicits information that she can turn over to a prosecutor she's a mandatory reporter which means that under the law if she finds out that a child has been the, the has had sex with somebody then she has to report it right um so the kid gets prosecuted as an adult. He does four and a half years in juvie. He gets out after he's turned 18. But here's the thing. He was a foster care kid. So now he gets out. He's got $25 and a bus ticket. There's nobody on the street to support him. He's on the public sex offender registry, so he can't get a job. It also means that he can't find housing even if he had the money to pay for it because he can't buy Ooh. and no one will rent to him. So what happens? His probation officer violates Deal's him. Not. No, 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 no. He doesn't have a chance. His probation officer violates him for not having suitable housing a few months after he gets out. Wow. So he goes back to prison. He's there for two and a That's half years. That's a crime? Years. Not, ha not having suitable housing? 
Yeah, I that's guess a violation of your probation. Yes, in Virginia, in Virginia, people violate their Jesus probation that Christ. way. Yeah, I mean it's a poverty crime, right? Like it's like a Dickensian debtor's prison. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and so so wait, are bums illegal? <laughs> so the difference is, uh, and I don't exactly. Know, I, I think some places have vagrancy rules, but um, the the real problem here is the probation. Right? Yeah, that it's a system whereby they can control whether you have license to not be incarcerated, and uh, you know they violated his probation, which is their prerogative. That's shocking. I was and, talking to a guy in in Britain who said that uh, probation there uh, includes lie detector tests, oh, yeah. and if you fuck that up, which is the same as fucking up a Ouija board. Those things are complete bullshit. I, yeah, let's talk about lie detector tests. Sure. I, I beat them like 10 times in a row. Uh-huh. They're fucking... You, I've even planted lies with the guy and made him discover them and they weren't fake. They were fake. Mm-hmm. Like that's... It's all... It's just a machine. It doesn't even need to have a readout. It's there to intimidate you. But these British people are going back to jail for violating their probation by getting something wrong on a fucking lie detector test. So uh, I think I can connect all of these ideas for us. The, um, the concept that there's this underpinning economic model that's driving corruption in the way we treat people um, and turning our focus as a society away from things that are good for society, like helping people land on their feet and move forward with their lives, mm-hmm. and instead incentivizing things that reward the people like the sort of actors in the system to increase their financial rewards and like advance their personal careers so we have this system in the united states called the containment model which is a really new scary hybridized law enforcement and um therapeutic i I can't even call it therapeutic hybridized treatment law enforcement model so what this is defined by and this is going to come right back to the polygraph is a law enforcement agent, usually a probation or parole officer, um, forces a person under supervision to go to a particular therapist. Now, sometimes the law enforcement is paying for that therapist. Sometimes they're forcing the person who's going to the therapist to pay. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really matter where the money comes from because the economic choice of who gets the job is made by law enforcement. So they deliberately contract with treatment providers who are marketing services that are based on law enforcement goals. So the therapist says to the law enforcement agent, you know what I can do for you is elicit information. I'm going to make him crazy for you. No, I'm going to elicit information that will help you supervise him or convict him of new crimes. Jesus Christ, and they, this is spooky. And they're masquerading this as, as treatment, as therapy, right? But then the it's like sort of the big fish eats the littler fish, eats the smallest fish. So if the law enforcement is the biggest fish and then you have the therapist in the middle, the therapist is using a polygrapher, this lie detector mm-hmm. expert, to interrogate guys under the guise of treatment. So this is, there's nothing therapeutic about a polygraph exam. Like, let's be abundantly clear about yeah. that. And as you described, it's, it's the opposite. It's, 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 stressful. it's a magic eight bore. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the whole idea. So these systems, these containment model systems, use the polygraph the exact same way the CIA uses it. And the CIA, they're not stupid, whatever you may think about them. Um, they use it as, as a pressure point. So when you interrogate people, it stresses them out. They don't understand that this little blipping machine can't tell whether they're lying or not. Mm-hmm. All it do is, does is measure stress. So they disclose things that they wouldn't otherwise disclose. Right. It's an intimidation tool. 
And then the problem with this population it's being used on, which tends not to be the most highly functioning, you know, people in the United States. Idiots, um, yes. Well, no, not always. I mean, sometimes they're just, you know, guys that have spent the last five years in prison and they're, you know, 22, right? And okay. haven't had life experiences and don't know how these things work. And They're dumb. So they, <laughs> they honestly try to answer the questions. But when the questions are, tell me every sexual experience you've had since you were in diapers, turns out most of these guys can't really answer that question reliably. Hmm. So on Tuesday, they fill out the questionnaire and they think that they've figured out everything that they've ever done. And then on Friday, while they're doing the test, they realize that there was something that they left out. So they include that. And now they're guilty of lying to the system. Oh, Jesus Christ. So but do you are you sure you want to go with that number of two? I you know, I do. I, I do. Like what what percentage are there for murder? What percentage like MS thirteen? Uh, what about Bloods so, and Crips? So so you're you're uh you're sort of distorting the idea. The question was how many of them are like people that that couldn't function in society that are like sociopaths that are dangerous, right? Right. Okay. So it turns out people who commit murder are actually the safest people in the system. Most of my friends in the system were there for really, really violent homicides. <laughs> the reason for that is that murderers have the lowest rate of recidivism of any category tracked by the Bureau of Justice, the, the Justice Department. And I, I, I guess a massive percentage of those were some sort of uh, jealous rage, some... I, and I, you know, honestly, I can't imagine what it really takes to put someone over the edge to commit a murder. Like, I, I can't really fathom that. I but, can't. They <laughs> fucked your wife. <laughs> but apparently that that happens so rarely, like the bar is so high that when when somebody does transgress that way, they're not likely to ever do it again. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, that's interesting. So I was, I was at an event last night with uh, Steve Buscemi, which was kind of fun, um, here in New York. And... Uh, See, Steve Buscemi's... <laughs> Childhood friend Rockets Red Glare killed Nancy Spungen. It was not Sid Vicious. Sorry, go ahead. So uh, we were we were um, at this event, and uh, one of my friends, um, who's a formerly incarcerated woman, and, and she's been doing um, policy advocacy work, particularly around education, um, for several decades. She um, uh, she said it a way that I hadn't heard it said before. This idea that you know. Um, the most violent offenders are actually the lowest rate of recidivism, and that's true. That makes, makes sense. That's true for all. It's, it, the the highest rate of recidivism are the sort of generalists, if you will, the people who tend to commit petty, low-level crimes on a habitual basis. Um, but people who who commit very violent offenses don't often reoffend. Most of them never reoffend. And yet, and so we, we have this really interesting approach in our society where instead of trying to focus on preventing harm or ad addressing the causes of harm, which would theoretically prevent it, what we do is we like to hyper-focus on people who've committed harm and then sort of wash our sins as a society by punishing them extremely repetitively and permanently. But that doesn't do anything to protect anyone. Well, I heard a very spooky theory once that I couldn't even, it's like talking about your prison sentence, my brain couldn't handle it. But this guy was saying, look, we live in a culture where black males have grown up without fathers. Idle hands are the devil's playthings. 
And we have just learned uh, by example that throwing them in jail for stupid shit seems to make society better because these idle hands, these fatherless kids end up in gangs, end up doing much worse. Mm -hmm. So this incarceration rate is horrible, but it's the lesser of two evils. And I was like, that is the most macabre thing I've ever heard. I can't disprove it, mm -hmm. so I'm willing to hear it. But Jesus Christ, what a horrible concept. I'm reaching my wallet to pull out a business You're gonna card. You're going to shoot me? No, there's this, this woman I oh. met last night um, who's a Ford Academic Fellow for the uh, New America. Okay. Um, so she was talking to me about this crazy idea that I'd never heard of before. Which is why I wanted to, you know, reference the source. Um, and she, so she works on. She was here in New York for a big meeting at this um, really wealthy foundation, um, talking about policing and government surveillance mm -hmm. and the new scary ways that the models fostered by the war on terrorism are now being used domestically against Americans. Um, again, in this war but, on crime. But the 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 internet generation, the cell phone generation, is also catching all these violations like that's how we're seeing cops shoot innocent black mm -hmm. men yeah for the first time well in one of the interesting like debates um in the room when that meeting joined the meeting that i had been at um for lunch was uh this idea of whether you know people should try to move away from the technology or if there was a way to lean into the technology and sort of subvert it and take it over and work with developers to do things like um create the opposite of a backdoor so uh you know imagine if twitter um, you know, had built their system such that they could not, like if the government asked them to access information about the individual, it was impossible through their system to do that. Hmm. You know, the developers have that ability, have ways to lock themselves out so that when the government tries to compel them to do something relatively evil, they can't even, they couldn't if they wanted to. Yeah, like this uh, this whole idea of uh, net neutrality, mm -hmm. where the government says they're going to regulate the internet. We both know that is going to start Hillary Clinton censoring sites that criticize her or catch her doing uranium deals with the Russians. Uh, we she, look when Benghazi happened. She said to one of the fathers of the victims, "We're going to arrest this guy." She didn't have a crime on him yet. Mm -hmm. After a while, she found out that he had violated his probation, technically, because he used a different name in the credits of the video. And because he had been charged with fraud earlier, that's a violation of his probation. And then she was like, I got one. Like, in New York State, it's illegal to have an ice cream cone in your pocket. Mm -hmm. Because back in the horse thieving days, mm -hmm. you'd put an ice cream cone, give a horse a lick, and then walk away. And it would follow you. And it would follow you. Uh -huh. And then the cops got you go, I don't, I'm just walking down the street with an ice cream cone in my pocket. Wow. Now we could, like Giuliani did that with the cabaret law. He said he wanted to find places that had drugs. Those tend to be clubs more than pubs. He needed to differentiate. Uh -huh. So he said, I need, you need to have a dancing license. Uh, so I know what a club is and what a pub is. Huh. And they go, that's fucking insane. What, you're going to make dancing illegal in pubs? And he goes, yeah, it's a law here from 1836 <laughs> called the Cabaret Law. Wow. Like everything is fucking illegal in this country. So it's just a matter of that. Mm -hmm. They choose their guy first and then go through his files. But, but here's yeah. something I wanted to bring up with you. Let's, what should the parameters be? I don't think a woman should be fucking a 13-year-old boy. Uh, I don't think a... Should a 16-year-old girl be fucking a 13-year-old boy? 
So, uh, you know, this, this question comes up from time to time. And, um, you know, because you went to jail, just to be clear here, folks at home, this man went to jail for being a 19 year old gay man who fornicated with a 14 year old gay man. Nine years in prison. Mm-hmm. Now, let's just say we're gods and we're sitting here writing the rules of humanity <laughs> for 2015. Because yeah, the year is relevant too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid in Canada, and middle, maybe the, the country's relevant too. Like when I was a kid in Canada, losing your virginity at 17 was normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked to my wife about the Midwest, where a lot of, you know, partying, lots of beer drinking in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. 14 was normal. You talk to Puerto Ricans in New York, they're f- sucking cocks at 12, 13. And they have huge tits. Uh, that sounds fucking weird to me. So, uh, you know, what's normal in different cultures is, is a really interesting question. Um, America hates to compare itself to other countries. Um, we seem to, as a nation, always feel like we've got it right. And yet other countries handle things in a very different way. I mean, industrialized Western nations handle things in a different way. Um, where we can clearly see that they're not creating the harm that we create in our society. Mm-hmm. And they're not assuming that there was harm where there was none. So if I had grown up in Toronto, for example, or anywhere in Europe with the exception of the UK, there wasn't a law in the books that they could have even charged me with. Oh, really? Well, and yet in the United States, I went to prison for nine years and they tried to never let me out. Oh, they wanted to give you life. Oh, no. So, so we, we, should, we should get into this just briefly. Um, there are 20 states in the United States and the federal government that have statutes on the books that allow the state to assert that certain offenders are too dangerous to be released. They suffer from some sort of psychological problem. Oh, wait, I had no idea you were this dangerous. (laughs) Boo. I would like you to leave. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't have a choice. Obviously, you're dangerous. Well, so uh, a jury thought different, and it was the first time in the history of the law in Virginia that a jury ever thought different which is startling. Holy fuck. So you escape by the skin of your teeth. Yeah. That's why I do this work, because I know that so many other people never got the opportunity to see the light of day again. Oh, that's not... See, this is where my brain melts down. Mm. I can't fit that in. Well, so so this guy's in jail right now, like a 19-year-old fucked a 16-year-old girl. Remember that 14-year-old I brought up earlier who had a, a girlfriend who was less than two years younger? who got his probation violated because he couldn't well, wait, find she was suitable housing. 12? Yeah, she was 12. He was 14. It was his first sexual experience. He got out of prison when he was 18 and a half, couldn't find suitable housing, went back to prison. He's sitting down at the center called Virginia Center for Rehabilitation right now, civilly committed as a sexually violent predator, and he'll never get out. I know, Galen, but my daughter, like when I think of as a dad, 12 makes me want to murder someone. He was 14. I know. I would kick the shit out of him. I guarantee you he would be hospitalized. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that's what's going to go down. Yeah. Well, so, and you know, when, when our policy is driven by these sorts of emotions, like people, they don't think rationally about the situation. I'm not, how is that irrational? <laughs> Well, I mean, how do you know that... that uh, I'm not irrational. It hasn't happened. Right. I'm telling you here with a Red Bull and a w- bottle of water, that boy's going to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. I'm not... There's My heart rate is like this right now. Bump, 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 bump. I'm okay. Calm as a leaf. So, uh, and the idea is why? Like, how? What, what harm has he caused? Well, this is the real question is, 
when are you a, when are you sexual? Uh, and I can remember women, girls, when I was 13, I was like, why are they even fucking here? Mm -hmm. Get them out of here. They don't play video games. They don't know anything about the who. They're fucking stupid. They're not even <laughs> strong. Like ask any of them who Green Lantern is. They have no fucking clue. And then one day, a flick of the switch sure. and that I'm amongst angels. <laughs> right. And right. I'm so honored to be, I just want to like touch like their shoelaces right. or smell their hair. I would ejaculate. That's great. <laughs> and that was maybe 14. Uh-huh. Um, but a 12-year-old boy and a 20-year-old woman, that's traumatic. And I think that's a, that's a form of assault. Right. Well, so that's what I would advocate, right? That assault, that exploitation, that maybe shaming. So in, in cases of, you know, sexting where somebody takes the information and deliberately uses it to shame their former partner. Um, those are things where society has, you know, for all time criminalized that behavior. They said that that is harmful. You're causing harm to the person because you're assaulting them. Yeah. Like a rape is a So assault. what should happen to this 20-year-old woman has a sexual relationship with a 12-year-old boy? What should so, we do? Um, punishment doesn't work, right? Def if, if the goal is retribution, right, it's not going to actually help society in any way. It might make people feel yeah, better. Tell that to the slightly. boy's dad. Yeah, so... Well, you know, and, and it depends on the 12-year-old, right? Like, not all 12-year-olds are, are created equal. I know, it's but we're gods young. right now in this scenario. We <laughs> oh, have so big feather quills. Right. So we're writing scenario, on parchment. Right. What do you write on your parchment? So this is a prepubescent 12-year-old who, like, has no idea about sex and didn't want to do this. Uh, I don't think that matters. Okay. It's like when people say, like, they're talking now with the transgender, oh, this is a 5-year-old in a woman's body. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you are. You don't even know you're gay when you're 12. Well, that's tricky, but it, I knew it's I was an gay ethereal when I was thing. Yeah, I, th I think you do. You do. But, you know, as I said, for me, women were human garbage mm -hmm. at 13. And then, boom. So I, I could have been gay, straight, anything when mm -hmm. I was that age. I, I don't think a 12-year-old, you know, we don't let them vote. We, you don't know what you are. Mm -hmm. You're not sexual at 12. So if a woman was to fuck him, she's fucked up sex for him. And that's why we're all here. Sex is important. It's not like fucking up baseball. Mm -hmm. um, so that there's a, you know, a, a value there. There's a damage she's done. Hmm. So there are a couple interesting ideas. Like the first one is that in, in most European countries, they um, uh, accord all of the person's human rights when they reach the age uh, at which the government can hold them responsible for their decisions, which is different than the idea of trying someone as an adult in the United States, which in Europe they never do. Will so, you just bust out your parchment, please, and <laughs> sentence her? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean... Uh, therapy? If, Are you going to say therapy? If I'm, if I'm going to play that game, right, uh, then I would say... Um, I would say probation. Probation. Yeah, I would say probation. And and she violates that probation, she'll go to jail. Right. What should you have gotten? Um, I I think that I would point to Canada and all of Europe and say that you know consensual relationships between teenagers shouldn't be criminalized. That so thirteen and a nineteen-year-old, a thirteen-year-old girl and a nineteen-year-old boy is fine. 
So if a 13-year-old boy and a 19-year-old girl is... I didn't say that. I know. I'm choosing the worst possible <laughs> scenario. <laughs> right, and I'm playing it back the other <laughs> way. So, you know, if, if they turn it on its head, right, if, if there's no exploitation, if there's no assault, then, you know, I, I certainly, I remember being 13, you know, and I had sex when I was 14 with an older person. And yeah, I think I think I'm I had a 14-year-old girlfriend now, when I was 18. You know, and no one can tell me that when I was 14, I didn't know exactly what I wanted. Right. Which doesn't mean that it was like the best thing ever for me. But when the government steps in and tries to control people's, you know, people's decisions that are not harmful to themselves and not harmful to other people and clearly decided by biology, like puberty exists for human beings for a purpose. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's why women <laughs> menstruate. I'm not saying, by the way, folks at home, I'm not saying you get to fuck 13-year-olds because they're menstruating, but there is some sort of biological data going on there. Right. I mean, there's ovaries exist. Right. So, I mean, like, being mad, it's, I, I, I think it's important to reserve the penalty of incarceration for people that we should be genuinely afraid of. Not for people that we're just mad at. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I think the big th thing about your case is it's the problem with the myth of equality. We're not all the same. Gays are fucking dudes. They are men without the boundaries of women. I think gays are albinos. <laughs> yeah. They are very unusual. Okay. They are, by dictionary definition, weird. Queer? They're queer. <laughs> so for you to have the same rules as everyone else, that's insane. I even heard, I heard this dude make this intense argument that gays lie more. Huh. And he, the funniest part about his whole argument was he had an invisible baby in his hand. And he's like, you take a fag baby. And then he was holding an invisible fag baby during his entire argument. <laughs> and okay. And like this baby fag, just like... <laughs> Sitting there in his hands. I assume it had an invisible diaper on. Um, but he was like, look, gays grow up in this culture where they feel weird. They know they're different. Yeah. They can't be honest about themselves. Like uh -huh. a girl can go, I'm a princess and I'm going to get a prince one day. And that's going to be wonderful. I'm going to be a mommy. Mm -hmm. A gay can't be like, I'm going to suck so many cocks and I'm going to have red short shorts and it's going to be the greatest. So you grow up uh, having to hide who you are, being um, duplicitous. Mm -hmm. And then it just become you get good at lying after a while. So when you're an adult, you're just like, yeah, I uh, went to the Rangers game last night. <laughs> they did really well. They threw One of the guys threw me a puck. And you're like, what? The Rangers didn't play last night. Oh, it was in uh, Calgary. You know, it was in Canada. <laughs> but they would do a better job because right. they're better liars. Right, right. Do you think that's... Uh, oh, anyway, yeah, so it doesn't no, matter no, if it's true or not. No, but wait, let me They are that, culturally different. So right. you don't have the same laws. So actually, you know, in my experience, like from the gay men that I've known and my, my own experience, like there's this great weight that gets lifted off of you when you finally like reach a point where you feel that you can come out. Right. Because you feel like you've been lying to all of these people well, that you care about. sometimes it's too much. Like I think the whole Faye thing, mm -hmm. here's a crazy... I think we're all like that. Like when my dad gets shit-faced, he pulls up his blazer... <laughs> Like this, and he dances like this, <laughs> and he goes, he's like Marvin Gillion, and be like, "Heard it through the grapevine. How much longer will you be, man?" Like he's a fag. Yeah. So I think it's just a very self-indulgent way to be. Like, hi, I think I would do that if I really like, you know, was on heroin. I'd be like, hi, 
Junkies kind of act gay. Well, yeah, one of my best friends growing up um, came out when he was uh, 14. Yeah, 14, I think. And um, he had been just very straight-laced, very sort of like quiet and real smart kid. And uh, after he came out, and I was the first person he told, um, we, I've known him since he was like five, um, he like instantly turned classically gay. Right. Yeah. So he started like being very effeminate and, uh, I, you know, it was just shocking to me because there was like this fl- like, switch that flipped. Yeah. It's it. I don't like it. It's phony. I, mean, I went to a coming out party once mm-hmm. and the guy, he came out of a giant piece of paper, like pff, bursting out. And he goes, it's great to be here and it's great to be gay. And I'm looking, I'm going, that's not you. Who are you being, dude? You're like acting like a 13-year-old girl. And when you see old gays, uh-huh. like a 60-year-old fag, he's just like, hi, how are you doing? Me and my boyfriend are uh, working. We have these bald patches on our lawn. <laughs> and I, I think the actual land is like scorched from because I spilled fertilizer there a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't talk like that. They don't go, hey, I'm 60 and I'm fucking gay. There's a very famous TED talk and I, I can't remember who, who the speaker was, but he actually argues for gay humility. You oh, know, that's a great like, concept. <laughs> you know, because what happens is too long. You've and... been like, I'm not me. I'm not me. I'm not me. Uh-huh. And then you go, I'm me. And it comes out of the fucking peanut brittle jar <laughs> yeah, like a, exactly. a coiled snake. Yeah, exactly. Sure. And you're like, that's not you. You're being a maniac. Uh-huh. Fucking reel it in, dude. Yeah. He, he suggested it. it's an idea whose time maybe hasn't come just yet. But <laughs> he's hoping that we'll, we'll get there. And and that's really the thing. Like if there if there were some sort of. Um, accept like real acceptance of you know homosexuality in our culture, then it wouldn't be a thing. No, you know, well, I, look at. I think the best thing about prison for you is it made you a normal gay. <laughs> I wouldn't know you're gay. You're a regular dude. You're. I bet your room's a mess. Is it? Yeah, it, it is kind of a mess. He's a fucking gay slob. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. This is the the upside of prison. It rehabilitates fey gays. <laughs> um. But we're out of time, unfortunately, and uh, I don't know if it's good or bad that we avoided your experience in prison. I mean, you told me that haunt... I talked to you earlier about the West Memphis Three and how Mm -hmm. they can't see properly because their eyes were not trained to look more than six feet away. And you Mm -hmm. said you looked out of a slit uh, window sideways sideways for an hour a day so your vision Mm -hmm. would be restrained. Um, We're hearing about you stealing vegetables. Uh, I'd like to have you back and maybe get into that, but I can't handle <laughs> fucking four and a half years in solitary confinement. You get that. It's actually hard to, to have to imagine that I did that. Nine years. Yeah. Would you, if you could have on your first day hit the fast forward button and gone out and be nine years older, would you do that? Yeah, probably. So you'd rather be old and not have experienced it. I mean, uh... Can you get, like, I forgive my fucking a brash... Um, uh, disregard for your suffering, but we did this pri- uh, commercial in a prison New once, Yorkers. and all the young guys were like, "Holy fuck, let's get out of here! This place is spooky, man." Uh-huh. And I don't know. I was looking at the cell, and I was thinking I'd have my books there, mm-hmm. and maybe a classical guitar, get some like Spanish, learn Spanish DVD. You know, I would like read Kierkegaard and uh-huh. be like a fucking raging intellectual. Right. Yeah, I- that's what I did. Except for that, that whole uh, like having books on that—that's a fantasy, and the guitar thing, total fantasy. But you can't. Re- didn't you read everything you've ever wanted to read? 
Um, yeah, I, well, getting books is hard, actually. Like, it's difficult to get literature to read. So I read the Harry Potter books, for example, oh. but I read them in French. Oh, because I did read, you learn French? I read no, I knew French already. Um, okay. but I, I read read much more slowly in French, and so it was a way to sort of draw it out. Oh my God! Um, See, it's not as fun as I thought it was. <laughs> no, no, prison uh, way less fun than you'd think. <laughs> <laughs> not all it's cracked up to be. But, apparently, you know, I, I will say this on a serious note that um, you know, now that I'm 31, and um, you know, I'm able to sort of like function in society and build relationships and. Uh, I've won one of the top prizes in my field, and I'm like doing real things with my life. I find that the incredibly harrowing experiences that I've had help other people because I can connect with them in a way that I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Well, you must be a fucking Jedi now. Like, Something like that. If you that, get hiccups, yeah. we talked about this before, but <laughs> if you go, <gasps> I bet you can just go, go away, hiccups. And you don't have hiccups anymore. You know, I, I find that I'm far less reactionary to things than most people are. So you really can't, like, tip me over. You know, most people, they go through their lives and some little thing will, like, get under their skin and they'll, like, instantly sort of spin them off down a path. Right, yeah. Um, that doesn't happen for me. I was with um, uh, one of I'm a meth nephew. And um, uh, I took him out for um, his birthday. And he, he said to me, we were at this, like, really ritzy place in, in New York City, 17. And um, he goes, you know, what is it like for you to be someplace like this? And I said to him, well, you know, like he said, based on your experience, based right. on where you've been, what is this like? And I said, well, I always felt I belonged here, even when I was there. Oh, so you're not like Data from Star Trek. No. <laughs> Like trying to figure out what those earthlings do. You're no. just like, finally, I'm back no, out. From this that. is uh, this you were is, data in there. Yeah, and and when I was in in solitary, um, I never. So what what breaks people is that they start to feel that that is their world. That, that little tiny cubicle is their entire reality. You're giving me a panic attack. So please speak slowly. I can't handle this. Um, I was on I was on a panel with a, um, an ethicist, oh. a PhD ethicist, um, who writes and studies uh, torture in America. Um, how the United States government uses very specific strategies um, abroad and also domestically and how torture has been normalized in our culture. And she used a solitary confinement as a very clear example of that. You said culture weird. Is that a prison thing or <laughs> do you need a thing of water? It's probably just water. Okay. But um, uh, the the outcome of like her speech was I learned so much more about my experience. We were both presenting. I was talking, you know, from the perspective of what it's actually like to be there. And she was giving the sort of 10,000 foot view of how these things work um, and how the government deliberately structures the experience to unmoor people from their reality. And I had had this experience when I was in solitary where everything is so monotonous that you actually start to feel like you might not be alive, like you might be a ghost, uh -huh. because each day is I'm the same. I'm sorry to look at my phone, but I have a meeting, and uh, I don't want you to leave, so I'm hoping it's later than I thought. <laughs> uh, I'm sure I can gonna... come back. Um, oh, good, it's not until 2 p.m. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's fucking intense. Was there ever a day where you were like, it was kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, the, the better I got at it, the better I was able to sort of manage my emotions and what focus on What was your best really... day in prison? Describe the top day. Christmas, I assume. You had all your, you woke up, your presents were all over. What kind of Christmas <laughs> trees do you have? 
is it one per cell or is there a main Christmas tree <laughs> in the lobby and then everyone's presents are labeled? How do they distribute the presents you, on Christmas? You know, there was actually one facility that had the most like bullshit fucking Christmas tree, right? Really? It looked like the damn Charlie Brown Christmas tree that was half dead and it was more depressing than just nothing. Yeah. Like, if you added nothing, I could have a picture of a Christmas tree. I could have gotten down with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I can't actually think of what like a best day would have been. Did I mean, you ever play basketball? Um, no, I can't jump. But uh, uh, but people played. You yeah, saw guys people, playing basketball. People played basketball. Did you have a boyfriend? Did you ever get laid? No, I was very deliberate about not doing that because if I had, they could use all of that against me. Oh, um, you right? must be like a ninja masturbator. <laughs> you could probably beat yourself off with your mind right probably now. Probably highly, highly skilled. You could probably just make yourself come right now. You just go, Ugh. You know, it's funny. Guys in the system will actually get sex charges for masturbating alone in their cell. What? Yep. True story. True story. See, this is why we can't do an hour podcast with you. We have to do a three-week-long podcast. <laughs> Installments of that's fucked up. Yeah, a friend insanity. of mine, a friend of mine, Robbie, told me that you would uh, the way he would beat off is he would wash his dick in uh -huh. the sink. Yeah, and they go, "What are you doing in there? Just washing my dick." Uh. <laughs> no, you get a charge for that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. and if you get, uh, I think it's three of them or something, the third one is is a street charge, right? So now you're a registered sex offender. So you can't even fucking beat off? Well, you couldn't get caught doing it, no. And, and you know, most of the time I was um, locked up uh, with, well, I guess half the time I was locked up. Um, the other half I was in solitary. But a lot of the time um, I was in, like, this warehouse. Like, it's literally a hangar. And they have four rows of beds lined up. And they have 100, 150 dudes like lined up in these this common area. I don't know if you've seen pictures of like the California system. It's like this, like it's like an air aircraft. I've know, seen hangar. it in comedy movies. Yeah, with oh. lots of rape jokes. Oh, that sounds not funny. But uh, yeah, the rape jokes are hilarious though. Don't you love that <laughs> joke where they say you're gonna have fun in prison? And they have a huge black guy named Bubba. Isn't that the funniest joke ever? <laughs> Uh, I'm experience. so glad they keep recycling it too. When I when I first got to like my first real prison, um, uh, this really small Hispanic guy like beckoned me into a cell. I hadn't been there a couple days yet, and um, the guy was like tiny, right? You know, really buff but tiny, and uh, he looked like about my age. Um, there weren't many people there my age, so uh, I went into the cell to talk to him, and we talked for maybe like sixty seconds. And then the next thing I knew, there were five giant black dudes standing in the cell behind me blocking the exit, right? So, you know, it was just like six dudes in the cell and me. <laughs> oh, it sounds like a really funny comedy movie. <laughs> and this was clearly orchestrated. And, uh, you know, fortunately for me, the leader of the bunch just wanted to say hi and, uh, you know, get to know me a little bit with his buddies. Um, so, uh, you know, I... Fortunately, I learned my lesson without having to pay a price for learning it. Um, but, you know, most of my experience in those environments had to be very calculated. You know, where you go, who you go with. Did they recognize you as the smartest guy in the room? No, I think that... <laughs> was your so, nickname Brainy or something? Uh, some, people, um, some people thought that I was Irish because they had never heard an American with an accent like mine. Wow. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Like many of the people in the system, fortunately people who are very well-placed in the system, um, thought that I was a unicorn. 
and it was more interesting for them to be friends with the unicorn than it was to rape or assault the unicorn. Phew. So, yeah, <laughs> it worked out relatively well. <laughs> so, you know, I did all of this time, and I never had a fight. You know, I was never assaulted. I was never abused, you know. Now, I'm sorry. Um, we're, we keep, we're 10 minutes over the line here, but one, I just want to keep dragging this out. Uh, my understanding is uh, a magazine there is called a book, and sweatshirts are called sweaters. Is this correct? Not in my experience, no. Oh, okay. That's upstate New York, I guess. Yeah, probably. Um, no, we didn't do that. Uh, we didn't really have... Did you ever see a shiving? Uh, Last question. Have you ever seen... What's the worst shit you saw? Sorry to ask the you the most cliche shit question. the I saw? Um, no, I never saw a shiving. Um, I, uh, when I was up in... Uh, so I did see... I did see the goon squad come in and beat the shit out of a guy and it's it's not fair i mean they're dressed like stormtroopers right they've got these giant riot gears on they come in and you know the guys like there's a fight or something stupid like that um so they make all of the other prisoners like kneel on the ground and face the wall with their hands like in the in like basically a stress position um so you can't see much and if you do they come and beat the shit out of you too um, but you can hear what they're doing. Oh, and so you know, the, you you see the last thing you see is the guy's already on the ground, not doing anything, right before they even get to him. But before I start doling out sympathy, I, I don't know what this guy did. Like he got in a fight with one of the other prisoners. Okay, I mean, isn't that kind of the deal? If you fight while you're in here, we're gonna kick your ass. Um. So you know, I would argue that if it's okay for them to do it to us, it's okay for us to do it to them. And that's not a world we want to live in. No, so but I if you let fighting go, we're starting a whole new thing now. But <laughs> I don't know. I talked to a prison guard once and he was like, back when I was young, uh -huh. we would just kick the shit out of someone who was an asshole. And that was the end of it. Now you got to fill out forms. Fuck it. I retired. <laughs> so, I mean, like, and I would kind of saw his point. I was like, yeah, that sounds reasonable. If someone fights, you beat them up and you go, no fighting here. Fuck face. <laughs> So no, I don't think beating the person up is really the answer, um, but I, I think that there are other strategies that are clearly much more effective at like restricting this behavior. And again, the whole system, like you're talking about punishment as a solution to the problem instead of actually looking at what caused the problem. Right. And punishment doesn't actually work. Well, that's a great wrap up here. The the whole assumption with incarceration is there's a, it's a means to an end, yeah. but there's been no evidence of this end. No, it's just making lots of people lots of money. Thanks for coming. Sorry for dragging it out so pa uh, far past the mark. Glad to be here. Um, I'm not gay, but I do feel attracted to you. <laughs> That's very kind. In a strange way. I mean, it's if, a tie, right? If I had to fuck a gay dude, you would be at the top of the list. That's excellent. That was what I was hoping to accomplish this morning. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Thanks.